Welcome to the latest edition of At The Flicks, your one-stop shop for movie news, interviews and reviews. In our mid-month show, we return to South Africa as Jeff interviews sound engineer Ashley Murray's. Then, in our monthly roundup of movie news, Graham takes over to give an update on one of his favourite stars. Jeff talks Willem Dafoe, and I tell you about a new war film, which could be the next 1917. That'll be 1918, will it? <laughs> After that, we talk to Swedish director Jimmy Olsen about his fantastic new short film, Alive. Greetings and salutations. My name is Jeff and my main cinema interests are political and horror movies. Hi, my name is Graham and my main cinema interests are sci-fi and comic book movies. And giving you, our dedicated listener, the Mel Gibson news you want to hear. Jeff, stop editing my part of the bloody script, please. Hi, my name is Neil and I just love movies. Guys, I'm going to start the show with a plug. A plug for a great new little restaurant in Cheltenham called Suffolk Rocks. Had a couple of meals there. Fantastic. They listen to the show, so it's all good. But their Sunday lunch, amazing. Where is it? Suffolk Road, just down by the retreat, which for our American listeners, just hop on a flight, get over <laughs> to Heathrow, drive to Cheltenham, ask for the daffodil, say where they filmed an episode of Sherlock, walk down the road, and you're at Suffolk Rocks. Great place. <laughs> Cool. That was easy. So let's go back to the movies then. In our end of month show last, I started a small discussion about the cinema drop-off expected this year. Caused a great disturbance in the force, or as I call it, the post-back. Now, I happen to mention that the coronavirus will be one of the reasons for the downturn and potential part-time closure of cinemas. Now, it's already had an impact in China. They lost their Chinese New Year, which has resulted in a 2 billion deficit in box office there. It will continue to have a ripple effect throughout the world. Italy at the moment, cinemas are closed, but I can see the same for the UK and certainly America. So what's that going to mean? You know, it's fine that, you know, as we say this, it's only a few days since they've announced the move of the James Bond film, No Time to Die, but I think others will move. But I'm not worried about the big films. For me, I'm worried about the small films, those mid-budget productions that, like Shaft last year, they'll suddenly be on the movie circuit, disappear, and end up on Netflix. So it could kill cinema. Now, Graham, what do you think on this? Do you think it's the end of cinema as we know it? No, 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 no. I think it's going to be a very unpredictable time. If Europe and America follows the China model, then the next six months will probably be very bad for the movie industry. I think a lot of stuff will follow the No Time to Die model and get put back to later in the year. But that then compresses the second half of the year schedule. And I think a number of distributors will panic and sell to streaming services, as you said, Jeff, at fire sale prices. Very good business for the streamers and will have the knock-on effect that a lot of potential customers won't come back to the cinema when the current crisis passes because the content on the streaming services is now so good because they've got a lot of really good films very, very early. Filming new stuff will also be impacted, I think, and all the movies due for release next year might get hit. Well, that's already started with Mission Impossible. Yeah, they exactly. stopped filming in Italy. I don't know when that restarts, but that's a three-week schedule they had there. 
And I think it's the classic domino effect. I think things will start to knock on and knock on. Finally, I think predictions are impossible in such a fluid environment, and we will just have to report on this on a week-by-week basis. Good job. We're a weekly podcast. Plug, plug. <laughs> Absolutely right. I mean, it could be six months, could be a year of disruption. Yeah. Um, and we know what happened during the writer's strike, and that could be a knock-on effect for several years. There's only the difference is that the likes of Netflix and uh, Apple and Disney are all coming in, and yeah. they might just take it all. Yeah. Why would we have cinema? I think the other thing as well is that we've got these holes now starting to create. Bond is obviously not there, so what are they going to put in its place? Mm. Every cloud has a silver lining. I always believe that. And I think with these gaps, they'll want something quick to fill in, and I think there could be a resurgence of horror movies. <laughs> That's your silver lining. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Your- well, silver bullet if they're werewolf. Oh, God. <laughs> anyway... So, Graham, moving on from that, you've got some stats for us, but not our normal stats about how many thousands of listeners we've got around the world. No, 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 we don't want to blow our own trumpet too often. But you've got stats about what movies and what types of movies you've been watching. Yeah, so being a nerd, I record every single movie I watch in a spreadsheet. I just went back recently and had a look and started doing some number crunching on these. So the four main trends have become clear. Since we started this podcast, I'm watching more foreign films, up from 9% in 2018 to 32% this year. Neil, you're an influencer. Yep. <laughs> I'm watching... Or- Christ, there's a sentence I never thought I'd ever hear. <laughs> I'm also watching or re-watching more classic movies, up from 5% to 12%. Most of that probably because of Elijah or our residency on BBC Radio's Classic Film Friday. So we have to, to watch classic films for mm. that. So that's that's improved. I'm also watching far more films than I ever did at any time in my life it's up from uh, eight films per month i was watching in 2018 i'm now over 12 films a month are you including your porn list in there? <laughs> yes i was going to come to that thanks one. a bunch yeah yeah was, so, was that in your spreadsheet or is it that's a separate that's, spreadsheet that's a separate hidden spread some, it spread something yeah. oh god uh, at this point, Emma, Darren and Phil will probably be rolling their eyes so hard it'll probably physically hurt them. I know, guys, I'm a bloody lightweight, but yeah, I'm up to 12 films a month now. And finally, and this is uh, very worrying for me personally, I'm seeing less and less movies at the cinema. I used to see 61% of everything I watched in 2018 was at the cinema, and I'm now only watching 25%. It's your fear of disease. <laughs> the first three months of this year, so okay. And a quick quiz, okay, to finish this off. What genre of movie do you think I watch the most? 15% of everything I watch is watch on Non-porn. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Neil. I can always rely on you. <laughs> do, you do you know, when he said he was watching Animal Farm, Neil, I thought it was a cartoon. <laughs> Oh, God, you're all so witty, aren't you? Yeah, gee. Oh, thank you. Right, that was can so I have easy. an answer from you? Uh, that'd be sci-fi. No. Uh, Shibley? Comedy. Nope. Comedy, correct. Really? Only because yep. I saw the result. Yeah. Um, yeah, 15% of everything I watch is comedy. It's, it amazed me. I thought it would be science fiction. I thought it would be superhero. It's not. 
It's amazing, though, Neil. I wouldn't have classed every Mel Gibson film as a comedy. <laughs> Graham certainly does. I've only seen one Mel They're Gibson all film. Great film. They're all was. tragedies, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> one Mel Gibson film in the last two and a bit years. Yeah. And that's and only because that you, you tricked. To. I was definitely you were dragged, dragged across concrete to that, that one, one, weren't you? Boom, Okay. Brilliant. So um, I think you've got a word for our audience in case they're caught up in all this virus nonsense and have to self-isolate. If you're having to self-isolate, then you can pass the time with a full back catalogue of At The Flicks shows, which are all available via your favourite download or streaming service. We are in your corner. Unless we hear a cough, then we're gone. Okay, on with the show. The second and final of Jeff's South African interviews. Expresso is one of the top early morning shows in South Africa, broadcasted on SABC3. It's a lifestyle show designed to be fun and entertaining as an added bonus doesn't have Piers Morgan as a host. While Jeff was in South Africa, he was invited into the Espresso Studios to interview sound engineer Ashley Murray, who is the post-production final mix engineer on the show. With that title, you can guess Ashley is a very busy guy. However, he was able to spare a little time to talk to Jeff, especially after Jeff bribed him with lunch. Over to Jeff. Hi and welcome to a report from the TV making scene in Cape Town. Today I'm in the Expresso TV studios in a very fashionable part of Cape Town with sound engineer Ashley Murray. Hi Ashley, how are you doing? Good in yourself and thank you for having me. Oh, thank you. It's, it's great you've been in Cape Town so thank you very much for your time. Oh, absolute pleasure. You are a sound engineer. For our listeners, if they're anything like me and don't understand these things, could you explain what a sound engineer does, please? Well, basically there's a couple of different types of sound engineers when it comes to film and TV shows. What I predominantly do is I'm what you call a final mix engineer. So they will go out and shoot a story. They will come back, get edited. And then once the producer or the client is happy with the edit, then that gets split into two mastering sections, one audio, one video, and I take on the audio. And then I'll make sure the cuts are correct, everything flows smoothly. I'll put the voiceover, I'll do the, put music to it, and then I will master that. So that's basically what I do. Then you have what you call a location sound engineer, and they will be on set with the camera and the director, and they will mic up the relevant people. They will record sound on there, make sure the levels are correct. There's no outside noise coming in. If there's a track coming past, they'll stop it, do a retake, things like that. So that's basically what a sound engineer is in a nutshell. Okay, so those external, those location sound engineers, they bring it back to you to do the final mix. Then, yes, that's correct, yes. Oh. And I imagine sometimes that sound can be a little bit shaky and you've got to fiddle with that. Oh yes, sometimes there's <laughs> some really shaky sound. Now, is this a role you've always wanted to do? Or? Growing up, not really. When it came time for me to finish school and kind of decide what I want to do with my life, I was heavily involved in sports and I was going to become a biokinesist and then I realised I hated biology, so that flew out the window. Oh, I can relate to this. <laughs> <laughs> and then I went into personal training and stuff like that. And then I was heavily involved in church and I got involved with the worship band. And slowly but surely, I started doing sound for the worship band. And then the more I thought about it, the more I thought, well, this is actually kind of fun. Yeah. Really wanted to get into that. Kind of wanted to do more of the 
live sound in terms of mixing bands and stuff like that at concerts. Once I studied and started looking for work, that side of things is it's a really tough industry to crack into. My father knew someone who worked for the one television show we do, Top Billing. So it called, come for an interview, got a foot in. Started off really low, I was in the archive department and then learned how to do video editing. And I did that for three and a half years, four years. And then finally got my foot into doing final mixing, which is what I actually studied to do. So it was great. And then I learned a hell of a lot um, leading up to it. I mean, this company's taught me a ton of stuff. Do you still do the band work as well? or have you? No, I haven't done that for many, many years. You know, probably not know what to do anymore, to be completely <laughs> honest. Because that must be a strain as well, because you're trying to get that mix right you know, for when people go on stage so yeah. that people can hear it. Yeah, it, and it, it changes. When you do your sound check, your venue is completely empty. Yeah. So you do your sound check and you get your levels correct and stuff like that. As soon as you get people in, then everything changes. Because the human body absorbs them. You know, you almost have to do a remix. But it's just it, it's just little tweaks here and there. That was really fun for me. Yes, I mean, I miss, but this is great what I do as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The reason I'm fascinated on this music thing, just for a moment before we go on, is we go to a number of concerts, film music concerts, and sometimes the venues, like the Royal Albert Hall, great for acoustics, obviously designed for that. But you can get other things sort of more locally in Cheltenham for us. And the sound is terrible. It just these buildings just aren't built for it. A lot of places will go for occupancy rather than Royal Albert Hall, which is specifically designed for concerts. Uh, I remember years back we had a concert at the New Cape Town Stadium that they built for the 2010 Soccer World Cup, and it was Lincoln Park that had come down, and I oh, think it was the yeah. first time every year. I bought great tickets. And I actually ended up moving to a spot where I could barely see the stage. I could just hear it. And the sound was still terrible. Um, but it was actually just because it was on a windy day. Right. So the wind would come into the stadium oh, I see. and yeah. just move the uh, sound and blow it away from where you actually were. It, it destroyed the concert. There's a lot of aspects, you know, if it's open arena, if the sound equipment isn't catered for elements of that Pacific day but then you can go to a concert at a place called Kirstenbosch Gardens beautiful venue all outdoors um, they have a lot of concerts in the summertime and amazing sound so true we were there on Sunday and we were walking up in the hills as we were walking up I was sitting there and you just hear the sound just come up and it was fantastic I don't know how far away we were from it but it was so clear lovely and I think it's just also they've been doing concerts there for so many years they know exactly what to do. They know how to read the elements um, in terms of doing the sound mixing and stuff like that. So th- that is great. But in a place that's fairly new that you're not used to, it can become very difficult and actually just ruin the whole experience. So it becomes tricky, yeah. Okay. Let's go more up to date. In fact, right up to date for a moment because just looking around your, your little office here, which I've got to say, it's lovely and cool. I like that. So you've got it all set up. How long a day do you spend in here? I pretty much spend uh, the whole day in here. I get in just before 9 o'clock, and then I'll leave between, say, 4 and hoppers 5, 6, depending on how busy the day is. We deal a lot with clients, so a lot of it is also waiting for client approvals and stuff like that yeah. before I can actually do my work. But I'm in the office the whole day, yeah. Well, we'll come back to that in a moment and uh, the work that you do here. But let's go back to what you're saying about, you know, you got your start on 
top billing, which is, as I understand it, a South African lifestyle program. It's got a prime time slot on a Saturday. It's a what we would call a lifestyle magazine show. Right. Um, so that covers anything from amazing houses to events that we do, like the JMB Met, which is a horse race events. Is probably the one of the biggest events in the country throughout the year. Two weddings, two amazing restaurants, just whatever kind of catches audience or what is new, hip and happening, things like that. So they, they cover a lot of different genres, more towards the upper market, I would say. Okay. Yeah. So as you were saying, you started on archiving on that show. Yes. When you left there, what role did you have then? Well, while I was archiving, I started doing what they call digitizing for video. So when the tapes, recording cards would come in, I would have to make sure that that was loaded onto the editor system. Everything was lined up and correct. Um, they weren't missing footage. Slowly but surely, I started having to do one or two little edits or learning the editing software from a video aspect. And then eventually I started editing actual stories. I remember my second and third edit I'd ever done was two-thirds of a show called Top Travel, which is one of the shows we produced. Um, and they went around the world, seeing different countries and locations and stuff like that. So that was kind of cool for me. But just starting from so low, not knowing anything. I mean, I didn't even know there's a little tape that you get uh, called a little mini DV. Yeah. I didn't even know that was when I joined the company. And then I learned everything about editing and stuff like that. So that part was great, yeah. Editing travel must be a nightmare because there must be so much footage coming into you that you could... There's a hell of a lot of footage. I mean, we're talking back then when we were still working on tapes and something called an XD cam, you could have week-long travel, 10 hours worth of footage that you would have to go through and that would make up anything between three to five stories. So you'd have to work quite closely with the director just to pull that down, or would it just be up to you? No, I would just I would just get it into the system, and then the editor would work closely with the director. But they would generally give a structure, a write down a structure, um, so the editor kind of knew exactly where to edit from. Yeah, and the editor puts a lot of confidence in you. Then I've been crapped out once or twice, <laughs> <laughs> trying to pull shortcuts and get in the next morning, and tape kind of stopped three seconds in. And then the editor's got to wait another hour and a half so that can be digitised, because back then we were, everything was done real-time. That's how you learn, you know? Yeah, yeah. Did you uh, enjoy your time on Top Billing? Yeah, it was great. I saw a lot of interesting things, learned a lot of uh, interesting things, um, just from the stories that we had shot. So, yeah, definitely enjoyed enjoyed my time there. I probably would have still been with the company if we hadn't created this show called Expresso. Yeah. But for me, it was an avenue to to grow so I thought let's take the leap and go across and I still went across as a video editor and then within about three months I started doing the sound so so you were the expresso from the very beginning then yes I went across I think it was the second or third day after our first live show I moved or transferred across to that show yeah so that's a bit of a risk, because Top Billion was well-placed in the South African TV market. Expresso was new. There's sometimes a chance these things would never take off. Thankfully, it has. Well, that was one of our biggest worries, was there is live television shows in South Africa, but it's mostly news-related shows. Something like uh, Good Morning South Africa 
you know, it's predominantly news and one or two lifestyle stories here and there. But we were doing two hours or two and a half hours of absolute live content with a couple of stories we'd gone out and shoot. And we'd cover everything from traffic to weather, sport, you know, you name it, we did it. And no one knew how to do a show like this. Wow. So we just kind of grabbed the ball by the horns, as they say, and went for it. A lot of long hours in the beginning. The show was starting at 6 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. So a lot of the guys who worked on the live show were up at 3.30 in the morning or just didn't sleep because we'd had to rehearse or fix kinks and stuff in the production line or the live production line. Yeah. Um, because no one had known how to do this, so wow. it was hectic in the beginning. But now it's a well-running ship. It's it's good. I've had a look at a sort of couple of episodes just to to get a feel of it. And it's really good. And for the UK listeners, if you think of Good Morning Britain, but without the annoying Piers Morgan and with some really good and personable presenters, that's where you get with Expresso. And it covers such a wide range of topics as yeah. well. I think we pretty much cover everything, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, from some of our clients are Hills, which is a pet food company. So we do CSI um, type stories with them where we go out and go film a day when they go into the, our townships, uh, underprivileged areas, and they go do sterilizations. We'll cover stories like that or weddings or events. Do you ever go out on any live events? I've gone onto a couple of shoots. I had an opportunity to meet the famous American singer Josh Groban. Okay, yeah. Um, and he's kind of one of my idols, and I absolutely love his music. And when I heard he was filming, or we were going to film him in an interview, I dropped everything at the office, jumped in the car with him, and went and met him. And that was an amazing experience. Nice guy. Amazing guy. Humble, um, down to earth. Just a great guy. You could actually go sit at a bar. Uh, have a beer and talk that most absolute rubbish and probably learn hell of a lot at the same time too. Yeah. You've not done any of these trips into townships or the dangerous stuff like that then? You leave those to the others? No, I, I've done one or two uh, trips into the townships. For me, I really don't mind doing it. Um, they seem dodgy on the news and stuff like that. Yeah. But once Frightening you... is the word I would use. <laughs> <laughs> don't get me wrong, there are a couple of places where I probably... I wouldn't want to go into just being a a white male. You know, when you walk in, they actually are very greeting, uh, excited to see you. Um, I remember we did a story years back where we went in and built a jungle gym for a a township called Philippi. And we filmed there and we filmed the handing over and the kids and the parents were ecstatic because it gave the kids a place to play that wasn't in the roads where there's lots of cars coming through. So I've done a couple of those stories where I've been on the location, um, and that that's re- very rewarding. So coming back to you, what's your typical day on Expresso? Well, basically I will get in at about 9 o'clock in the morning. I'll double-check what has to air the next morning because it changes. I mean, I can check today. For Monday, but I'll get in tomorrow morning and it might change. So I'll get in, double check everything that I have to do. Then I will get all my voiceover scripts together. 
I'll make sure all my edits are loaded up onto my system and then I'll get the voiceover artist in. We'll record the voices. Do you write those voiceover scripts? No, no, we have someone who does okay. the voiceovers. No, I wouldn't be able to write a voiceover script. I'm not that creative in that sense. Um, creative writing in school was never my forte. I know that feeling. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so I'll get the voiceover artist here and we'll record those voices. And sometimes it can, it'll be a 10-minute session. Sometimes it can be a half an hour, 45-minute session. It just all depends on how much work will be going out to the next day. And then once he's gone, I'll master his voiceover and then I'll start my actual work. And which is mastering the uh, audio for the stories. And like we spoke earlier on, sometimes it can be, if it's a really good shoot, it can go very quickly. And then sometimes I've got to spend uh, quite a while just trying to f- fix everything, get those background noises out, those hums, those buzzes. Because as soon as you start taking those things out, you start affecting the actual quality of the person speaking. That in a nutshell is what my day consists of. So that can be quite long, quite pressured. Certainly time pressured, I would have thought. It can be, especially since we've got the morning show Expresso and then we've got an afternoon show called Afternoon Express. Like today, I've got a story going out on today's live show and I'm still waiting for that. I'm right. still waiting for that piece of work. I've only got about four hours in order to complete that. Probably will sometime today get to a bit of a time crunch and I'll be under the gun to um, get it out. What sort of equipment applications do you use for your work? The software I use is a software called Pro Tools. Um, it's kind of this industry standard. And then I have a Mac Pro uh, 12 core processor. I have a DigiDesign 003 rack. Um, and then I use Atom A7X monitors. And these monitors are fantastic. All right. Well, that'll keep certainly Graham and a few of our listeners happy because they always love to know about the technical things. But it's about the show. And as I said, the show is a great deal of fun, very well presented, very entertaining. Thank you. And you've been on there as well. I've seen a clip of you on there. I've had a couple of stories built around me. A little bit nerve-wracking at times, especially if you're on the live show. But it's great fun. I enjoy it. Yeah, the presenter I saw, again, certainly put you at ease and you got the impression of a real team effort we are a really good team we work well a lot of our staff have been with us for a long long time many years so we know how each other works and we know what to do and it just it flows like a river to be honest so going back to the bit i saw that was you and your beard what were they doing to you on that we had a client's big raises and we had covered all the stories on how to groom and uh, shave and stuff like that. And we needed to create a couple more stories. And we had found a guy in Cape Town who had been dyeing his beard and doing weird and wonderful designs uh, with his beard. And that asked me if I'd be willing to do a story similar to that. As long as you don't cut my beard, you can do <laughs> what you want to my beard. So, yeah, I said thumbs up. We'd spoken about it a couple of times before actually going out and shooting it, and it sounded like fun, and it actually was fun on the day, and it came out a lot better than I expected. So it is a really fun link, and we'll put a link in the show notes. So back to you, what future challenges are you looking for? You know, I think in any industry, uh, you just want to keep growing, you want to keep learning. Yeah. 
we are, our company does, we always come out with new shows, new topics and stuff like that. We just launched a show now called The Tastemaster, looking for a new chef to be on one of our shows because we do cook in segments on our shows. So it's always nice to bring in a new talent. So it's almost like a master chef type thing. Yeah. Uh, but it's something we do and it's, it's been a bit of a challenge. Getting through those challenges, you learn how to deal with that. You learn how to deal with new types of shooting because this show is done multicam. So it's a hell of a load of video footage, a hell of a load of audio tracks. And then that becomes mixed in one bundle of mess. And you've got to separate that. And that in itself is a challenge. So it's just, you know, learning new shows, learning new techniques and finding new workflows, I think, yeah. is the biggest challenge. Just to make your life a little bit easier, not to become lazy, but just to become make your workflow a little bit easier. For people who want to learn more about Expresso and your work, where can they look and read up on that? Like everything, I think, in uh, the world at the moment, we are on pretty much every social media platform. If they want to see what our show looks like and what we do, they can just go search Expresso Morning Show, and that's the same on Facebook. YouTube would be a great example of seeing what we do and what our show is about. And then in terms of trying to break into an industry, find where there is a production house close to you and go do a two, three-month internship. You know, see what it's like. Put your foot through the door, and once it's in there and you like it, then once you go off and study, or you have studied, at least you've made a relationship with that company. Yeah. And, and start to build up your CV yeah. that way. And I think that's the easiest way to do it. That's what I did. No, that's excellent. And as I said, it's looking really good. And I would recommend anybody, if you certainly check out on YouTube, and if you're in South Africa, have a look at Expresso. It's on channel. SABC3. Just see Ashley's work. Ashley, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you very Thank much. You I really very do much appreciate indeed. it. I enjoyed Cheers. the interview. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers. About our sound equipment is amazing. I would like to borrow it for just one month to test it on putting the show together. Thanks, Ashley. As the sound engineer on this show, I have to admit I was very impressed. That said, I haven't forgot you picked Angel Has Fallen as one of your top films of last year. As we are talking about Gerard Butler, let's change into our suits and head over to the movie news desk. Welcome to the Film News Desk, where we give our views on the latest stories coming out of Filmland. And of course, Graham, lucky person, gets to speak uncensored about his heroes. These people are not heroes. This part of the show is just you and some listeners having a laugh at my expense. Rather you than me, Graham. Thanks, Neil. Always supportive. (laughs) You guys have to remember, we're providing service to our listeners <laughs> and we could be their lifeline if this self-isolation continues at self-isolation Neil we'll see who's laughing when the football league is abandoned for the season and Liverpool are denied the premiership title that really is not funny <laughs> That's that hysterical. is too painful to even contemplate thank okay. you okay <laughs> take my mind off that I'll start the film news this month I'm shaking uh, <laughs> 
I'm going to talk about one of my favourite actors, Willem Dafoe, who has a very full slate of movies coming in the next 18 months. Now, Dafoe is one of those actors who has skillfully built a career around mixing personal projects and blockbusters. He is also one of the few actors to have broken the bad luck surrounding playing Jesus Christ on screen. What bad luck? Do you mean there's some sort of curse? Well, not exactly, Graham, but as a general rule, if you play Christ, you don't go on to have a stellar career. Now, take, for example, Jeffrey Hunter, who played Jesus in King of Kings, and Robert Powell, who played the part in Jesus of Nazareth. Title clue was in the title. Uh, They never achieved their potential. Mr. Defoe, of course, played the part in the very controversial The Last Temptation of Christ. Since then, he's had some great cinema years. But coming more up to date, he had a very good 2019 critical hit, such as The Lighthouse and Motherless Brooklyn. And prior to that, he was in the mega hit from the good guys of the comic book world, DC, (laughs) Aquaman. Get on with it, Jeff. I haven't got all night to listen to your prejudices. You think it'll take one night to get through that list? I'm going to ignore you. This year, he's lined himself up some fascinating projects with some of the best directors around. In the summer, we'll be seeing him in The French Dispatch, the latest film from Wes Anderson, who thankfully is back to making live-action films. Graham, mark another one on the prejudice board. (laughs) It's there. It's like listening to the two guys in the Muppet box, isn't it? Waldorf and Statler. That's a that's a compliment. Thank you. Mm. I'll take that. Yeah. <laughs> They're younger than us. Yeah. <laughs> and back to the news. This looks like Wes has returned to his Grand Budapest Hotel territory with an all-star cast collaboration. And it's about an American newspaper office based over in France sometime in the 20th century. It's three stories combined and looks from the trailer to have been shot in a 4-3 ratio. And um, what's that in English, Jeff? Remember, English is just a second language to him. <laughs> Bad language is the first. Yes. And the wit continues. Now, the easiest way to describe my answer to your question, Graham, it's the ratio of an old-style TV before those epic flat-screen things. You remember? Back in the day when television had to be three foot out from the wall because of the size of the tube. Now... In fact, it's interesting, actually, to think on that. It used to be the size was at the back. Now the size is at the front. Anyway, I digress. We've had the history lesson. Let's go back to the French Dispatch. What I already like about this film, apart from having Willem Dafoe in it, of course, is that it's being released during the usually intellectually bereft summer season. And it's a movie where journalists are the heroes doesn't happen too often in these Orange Man days. Let's get off the politics, Jeff. Remember, this is supposed to be about Willem Dafoe. Good point, Graham. So, moving on. Mr. Dafoe has just finished filming The Card Player, the latest from writer-director Paul Schrader, who was the writer of such classic movies as Taxi Driver and the director of films such as Blue Collar and The Light Sleeper, which, interestingly enough, featured another brilliant performance from Willem Dafoe. Now, in The Card Player, which may well be out for this year's award season, Mr. Dafoe plays the villain of the piece. He's the object of hatred for two gamblers, played by Oscar Isaac. Remember him? He used to act before Star Wars. And Ty Sheridan from Ready Player One. Now, Oscar Isaac plays William Tell. That is not a joke. That really is the character name. That's his tell, is it? Yeah. (laughs) Who takes... Actually, that... 
Very good. That, that is good. Who takes the younger man under his wing as they go from strength to strength on the poker circuit. However, revenge is lurking in the background. While this film should be up for awards, Willem Dafoe has gone from that film to work with a more recent Oscar winner, Guillermo del Toro. They are making a remake of the 1947 Tyrone Power thriller, Nightmare Alley. This one has an all-star cast, including Bradley Cooper, Rooney Mara, Kate Blanchett, and Tony Collette. Cooper plays a con artist who teams up with a corrupt psychologist in a scheme to make a fortune from the very wealthy in Chicago. Needless to say, doesn't all go to plan. So who does Defoe play? Yeah, good question. It's a small role. It's a character called Clem Hotley, and I believe he's one of the social elite being fleeced. However, it doesn't matter, as even in cameo roles, Willem Dafoe makes a big impression. Now, as for the film, I've seen some of the production stills showing its 1947 set in, which is the same year as the original, of course, and it looks stunning. This is a perfect example of how to do a remake. Remember we did this a couple of months ago? Well, this is a film that flopped in its time and can now be redeveloped for a modern audience. That's quite a lineup. Whoa, hold on there, Graham. I know you want to get to your news, but I've got one more film to talk about yet. Okay, yep, I can't wait. <laughs> Neil will like this one because he's into his Vikings. That's Viking history, of course, Neil. After his success working with Robert Eggers on The Lighthouse last year, which we unfortunately still haven't seen, Willem Dafoe and Robert Eggers are back working together on the very violent period piece, The Northman. Now, that's not to be confused with The Norseman, a Lee Majors Viking film on the very same subject. Lee Majors, the $6 million man. That's the one. $6 billion now, of course, if they ever get to remake it. The Northman is a film set in the 10th century in Iceland. It's a dark and very bloody revenge story, which also stars Anna Taylor-Joy, who worked with Eggers on The Witch and was recently seen in Emma. Time for a new agent, Anna, I think. Wasn't that bad. No, it was worse. Nicole Kidman, Alexander Skarsgård, who is in True Blood, and will soon be seen playing Randall Flagg, in the upcoming new version of The Stand. His brother Bill, who's outdone him in Stephen King Villains, because he played Pennywise in It, and Clice Bang, who was in Dracula. Now, with that cast, this should be amazing. Add Willem Dafoe, it's going to be classy. What an actor and what a schedule. Graham, I think you're going to try and top this with your actor of choice. Gibson off. Mel again? No, actually, the other one, Gerard Bloody Butler. As they used to say in On the Buses... I hate you, Butler. (laughs) Anyway, it seems Mr Butler is very busy at the moment, having finished filming the science fiction action movie Greenland about a giant comet heading towards Earth and only Gerard can save the day, etc, etc, etc. As he signs up for remote control. Sounds like his career. It sure does. Remote Control is another action movie. In the movie, due to start filming later in the spring, Gerard Butler plays Michael Rafter, a character who is, according to the publicity release, a former war correspondent turned corporate security consultant whose life is overturned when he receives a mysterious phone call from an unknown source. Should have let it go to voicemail, Gerard. It turns out to be linked to a mysterious conspiracy organisation called 212, who now want to kill him. 
I know how they feel. The thing with this film is that it comes from Eon Productions, the home of the James Bond franchise. You would have thought that they'd have sufficient pedigree to produce a knockout spy action film, and I am sure that this is what Jeff would have you believe, except I have done some spy work of my own. The scriptwriter for Remote Control is Mark Burnell, the man who wrote The Rhythm Section, one of the biggest flops of the year so far, despite Jeff's rating it highly. My film of the month for February, exciting movie, see it if you haven't. (laughs) Says you and no one else. So the same team that put together that underperformer are back with another film project and this time their secret ingredient for success is casting Gerard Butler in the lead. Ha! 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 I don't see what's funny, Graham. <laughs> I do. Uh, I, I, I'm first in line to buy a ticket. I spotted a flaw in this plan already. Jeff, you almost made my day giving me this story. And before I finish, here is a little something else I've learned about Mr. Butler. It seems he gets announced for projects that never make it to the production phase. Ignoring the rest of Jeff's scripts, let me tell you what I find out. That's enough, Graham. You're only supposed to read what I've written. Too late. I'm taking over to reveal the truth. The truth he can't handle the truth. Exactly. So let's go to 2018 and the announcement he was going to film the highly acclaimed script Snow Ponies. Cast alongside Gerard were Evan Peters from X-Men Dark Finish, John Bernthal, Ford versus Ferrari, Charlie Plummer, All the Money in the World, and Josh Gad, The Walking Dead. The plot is about seven men who travel across a violent landscape to deliver a mysterious package and the obstacles they encounter along the way. Sounds like an Amazon driver trying to get to your house, Neil. If the Amazon driver is Jeff, yes. (laughs) Unsurprisingly, this one has died a quiet death and is no longer appearing on Mr. Butler's IMDb page. However, one movie that is, and goes back even further in development, is Afterburn. It's based on a series of comics and is about treasure hunters searching the remains of the Earth for artefacts after a solar flare almost destroys the planet. Comets in Greenland, weather in geostorms, and solar flares in this. Just what do you have against the planet, Gerard? Can you tell me? I won't laugh honest. Ten years Gerard Butler has been trying to get this filmed. It seemed close in 2018 when he got the Korean director, Bu Young Gil Jung, on board. However, it's all gone quiet again. I think you'll find Korean directors are respectable now. So there you have it. At first for film news, I have reported more on the films not being made than those that are. For Mel and Gerard, long may that continue. Neil, over to you. I'll end this film news with news of an exciting British film which is currently shooting scenes on Saunton Beach in North Devon. Called Operation Mincemeat, it is the true story based on the Ben McIntyre book of the same name. This rather odd title was the name of an operation during World War II. As the Allies prepared to invade Sicily, Hitler guessed what they were up to. To throw them off the scent, a cunning plan was devised. The plan was to try and convince the Germans the invasion was going to take place elsewhere. They did this by strategically dumping the corpse of a homeless person dressed as a military officer in the sea where the Germans would find him. On his person were a number of faked plans showing the invasion route. 
sounds total madness. Well, I, yeah, I've not read the book, but I've I've seen a version of it, and the insane amount of detail they go into is unbelievable. I think Ian Fleming was involved in it. Is he really? But I couldn't be couldn't be certain about. I that. wouldn't be surprised. Maybe to be quite check honest. that out does sound madness and yet it worked the story has already been filmed before as the man who never was in 1956 directed by ronald neem and starring clifton webb back then certain details about the operation could not be revealed to the public operation mincemeat promises to reveal the whole truth the big scale british production stars johnny flynn really good in emma really Kelly MacDonald from Trainspotting, Colin Firth, Matthew McFadden from Ripper Street and Tom Wilkinson from Paul Monty. A great cast and the production stills we've seen make this look like a standout war film. After the success earlier this year of 1917, this promises to be another hit for British cinema when it opens in early 2021. OK, time to leave the film news desk as we talk to Swedish filmmaker Jimmy Olsen. A couple of weeks ago, we were invited to review Jimmy Olsen's new short film, Alive, before it starts on the festival circuit. The At The Flicks team gave this a big thumbs up in our review section last month. We all think it is excellent. And now we have the chance to speak to Jimmy about the film and his previous success titled Second Class, which recently won an award at the Bayreuth Film Festival in Germany. Over to Jeff for his interview with Jimmy. Hello and welcome to a very special interview from your At The Flicks team. Today we are talking to award-winning Swedish filmmaker Jimmy Olsen. Jimmy, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks. Hello, thanks for having me. Oh, you're more than welcome. Thank you very much for sparing the time in what I know must be a very busy calendar for you at the moment. Yeah, I've got a few things going, yeah, that's true. I've read your IMDb page. I know how busy you are. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> fair enough. Yeah. So... We're going to talk about your latest film, the excellent film Alive. But before yeah. we do that, I'd just like to talk a little about Second Class, if I may, one of your previous films. Yeah. yeah. Now, I've only seen the trailer for Second Class, and it looks to be a very powerful piece. How would you describe yeah. that film for our audience? That film I wrote 2017 when the Charlottesville riots happened, and uh, got, I got very upset, and I wanted to do something about it. I wanted to... Because that's a film about children growing up with parents who have certain views and how you uh, how you can break those cycles being you know too influenced by your parents since they are your role models and basically do what they do. So I wanted to do something about that. That's incredible. I mean, just the as I say, I've only seen the trailer, but even that looked pretty powerful. It's been very successful. I mean, it's won your awards in New York, Leeds, and Oregon, and I believe you won another award a couple of weeks ago with it. Yeah, it's been around for almost two years now with close to 50 awards now. So I'm really, really happy that, you know, it works all over the world, basically. So I'm doing a feature film this autumn uh, based on that short uh, short story, given the fact that, you know, the subject is, you know, apparent and, and it's relevant. And, and I thought, yeah, let's give it a go and make a feature of it. With the rise of the populist governments we got at the moment, yeah. anything we can yeah. do to call them out, I think is brilliant. Please keep us informed on that one. Yes, we'll uh, mm, we'll definitely, definitely give definitely. a shout out for that one. Yeah, yeah. I believe, and as I said, I haven't seen it, so but I believe you had a small part in that film. And you, oh yeah, I did yeah, yeah, and uh, you, uh, yeah. 
was uh, I played a Nazi in it, uh, and right. you know, and the thing, well, it was very, you know, a couple of seconds, but you know, it was it was horrendous to to play that part because that first off, you know, I'm not an actor. My producer said, "Well, why don't you do it?" And I was like, uh, "What? What? No, because I, I I really can't." And well, you you do you do look like an Nazi, but yeah, yeah fair <laughs> enough, but. Is, is he a friend of yours, Jimmy? Charming. <laughs> yeah. Well, not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. So basically, I wanted to give it uh, a, a try, and 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 I had I had a backup actor if you know, the shit hits the fan. So, but I managed to pull it off with some decency intact. So, but it was really hard to shout at another person and and you know had my right arm up and you know shout. You no, know, I felt sick in the stomach afterwards. I'm never doing that again. How was the actress with that scene? We actually rehearsed it, you know, but in a safe place, and I didn't go all the way through. So she was quite comfortable. She was much more comfortable than I was. It's not fun to be an actor, you know, playing an artist that you don't, you know, look at Jojo Rabbit, you know, the director had to play Hitler because no one else wanted to. So, uh, <laughs> That's true. Yeah. 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 yeah, although he is the best Hitler I think I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely. <laughs> So you played a Nazi in that. You played a rather creepy character in Alive. What draws True. you to these parts? <laughs> in Alive, we showed up without any money, basically. We just thought, oh, do we need to go this, through this casting process when we're finding a creepy guy? Well, you know, I'm creepy, so why not? <laughs> you know, it, it, <laughs> let's, it, it, no dialogue in just a couple of seconds. And uh, it's easy, you know. We were lazy, basically. It's not that I'm drawn to it. You know, I wanted to be an actor when I was a teenager, but, you know, now it's just, you know, oh, yeah, well, you're around. Why don't you do it? <laughs> <laughs> so are you going to do this Hitchcock thing, a, a cameo in every film? The thing is, you know, I, I have another film out now called what have, Whatever Happened to Miss Longstocking? And it's a mockumentary about, you know, Pippi Longstocking, if she was a real person and alive today. And I play a journalist. It's a different game because, you know, it's, it's funny and, I interview people, and then I'm more, more comfortable with it. But uh, you know, but if I were to play something more dramatic, and you know, to be another person with dialogue, you know, that would be too scary. I think <laughs> that sounds a, a break from you know both Alive and Second Class, yeah. which are quite yeah. deep and and very powerful and important films. And I'm not yeah. decrying that film, but it. it well- <laughs> I've done a couple of documentaries now because you know, I have two sides in my in filmmaking. It's silly and comedy stuff, and then I have more, you know, dramatic stuff, which I, you know, love more. But I, I do like making silly stuff as well. So I have both ends to lean on, basically. Brilliant. So let's talk about Alive. And again, yes. we reviewed it. We put it in our movie review last month. We all thought it was brilliant. What, Thank you. What inspired you to make that film? Last summer, I was in Rome. I was a jury member in a film festival. I heard this, uh, I think it was an American podcast. I had this story about, a similar story, basically, about a disabled person, and I think it was him. I think he and his carer. And it was a similar thing that he, the disabled person, wanted to have an escort, I think. And it was a part of the story which I thought was, Oh, this, there's a drama there because there, there's a bit in the story that where the disabled person didn't want 
the carer to be around when he was, you know, doing his thing. And the carer didn't know that person and was, you know, a bit worried about who's coming and uh, what, what's going to happen. And, uh, and, and just that bit, because he, he, was, he was outside in a coffee shop and didn't know who the person was. And, and he was a bit worried that, you know, what, what happens if something bad happens? And I was like, wow, this is interesting. So I, I thought, well, and, and also, you know, I, I mainly do films about social issue films. I, I do, I, I, I'm drawn to that. I'm drawn to those subjects where, you know, well, when you have certain prejudice uh, or, or you just don't know too much about it, you know, in second class, I, I, I was a teenager in, in the early 90s. And in the south of Sweden, we had loads of issues with racism. And I was growing up in, in the middle of that. And I was like, you know, who am I? You know, who, uh, those those guys are hooligans and those guys are racist. And then we have, you know, the skateboarder guys and, and who am I? I think, you know, I want to challenge myself in certain subjects and topics where, you know, uh, things I perhaps have or have had, you know, certain... Uh, prejudice against and you know and and disabled people is like well i i'm not saying that i have it but you know i i, I know that certain people have yeah. prejudice against disabled people and they, have, oof, they are taking up space they are just a hunk of flesh you know it's like and, and i wanted to really discover that or explore that a bit more you know so that's why i was drawn to that story the connection between an able person and a disabled person. So that, that's why I, I, I wrote that story. I can see that. And I, I'm interested in what you're saying is, you know, as a filmmaker, you were capturing yeah. on film what you're seeing in society around you. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Okay. So, yeah, so basically when, when I came back from Rome, I, I was stopping by in, in uh, Munich waiting for my flight home. And I thought of this story for a couple of days, and then I wrote my wrote the script while waiting for my flight. So I basically wrote in in an hour and a half. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, "What the fuck? This went too quickly." I'm not sure if it's good. Sometimes you, it's like, "Well, I, I, you're quite confident if it's good or not." But this in this this time I was like, "Well, I, I have 15 pages now." I, I sent it to my wife, and she's a DP. She's in the industry, and and. I sent it to her and she was like, uh, and I asked her, is, is this something? Can I do something with it? And she was like, I'm, well, I'm not sure. You know, it, it's got something. With that feedback, I was like, well, I don't know, man. And, and then I, I sent it to my producer who produced Second Class. And he was like, yeah. He, he wasn't sure either. I was like, what? she would just, you know, scrap it. No, let's, let's try to, you know, explore it a bit more. And, you know, and I started casting it. And, you know, we, we filled around with it, with the dialogue, and we, we worked around with it. And I then I uh, casted the uh, person who was going to play Victoria, and I've never worked with her before. And then, you know, I saw her dedication. I saw her that she wanted to really, really get into the part of doing her research. And I was like, wow, yeah, I think we can do something really, really cool with this. I knew for a fact that, you know, the dialogue itself, you know, that that's the only thing I can feel confident with you know I, I could do my dialogue so what happens if someone treated from a disabled person's perspective you know that what and then then when when we rehearsed it's like yeah yeah i think this this is quite good <laughs> and for our listeners we you can probably tell we're skirting around this story quite a bit because 
when I sat and watched this, mm. I really didn't know where it was going. I don't really mm. want to give the game away, but again, for our listeners, how would you set this story up for them, Jimmy? It's about Victoria, a disabled person. She used to be a boxer. Uh, that, that's a backstory, anyway. We don't we don't talk about it, but we get the sense that she used to be fit and able. She and her carer, Ida, they are you know out and about, and they uh, Ida's boyfriend Bjorn uh, is surprising them in the park when Victoria sees them, you know, kissing and, and stuff. Something is awakened inside of her. So she wants that. She wants the intimacy. She yearns after, you know, having someone to love or having, well, basically having someone to fuck, knowing that she's got this brain damage. She's, she's in a wheelchair and, and have that certain look. And our prejudice is like, well, she's never going to fuck because she's a disabled person. So that, that's the story set up, basically. Mm. But Ida, she's a good person. She thinks she's a good person in a way. Uh, in a way, she is. But so she, she uh, offers her help to create a Tinder profile, uh, just like a, you know, like a favor. Well, it's basically all well, you can fiddle around with that. No one's going to match with you. It's like that. That that's the prejudice. But she gets a match quite you know, instantly, yeah. and Ida gets a bit worried. For, uh, so what's this? Uh, is she? Is he coming? Yeah, he's coming here. No, I don't think that's a good idea. So. Without telling too much about it, uh, that that's the setup. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I was with Ida. I think this mm. is just this is just a really bad idea. But yeah, mm. and as you say, the the film develops from there, and yeah. uh, it is too good to spoil. And I would urge anybody listening to this to seek it out. Well, well worth seeing. So the performances, and it's great mm. to have a film with two strong central female performances like this. Yeah. What yeah. direction did you give them? Well, we rehearsed a lot. So the direction was for Madeline, Madeline Martin plays either. We were at her place a lot, you know, a couple of times rehearsing the script and we've talked about a lot about the script. So it was not about the direction on set. It was more like when we rehearsed how we talked about the main premise was the, the prejudice, how we as able person, how we see people and how we should, how we think we should decide over other people when you are in that position. So it was not a lot about the direction on set, it was more understanding the characters because, you know, I don't want to get, get into micromanaging them. The only thing I, I, you know, on set I did basically was Victoria's character. She, she wanted some help where, with her speech. So because she, she has some issues with talking because she's got this brain damage so she wanted me to control that it, it was never you know too easy for her to, to talk because there's quite a lot of dialogue and and by the way we, we cut out a lot of dialogue it's going to take too long <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and we just cut out you know just had a core uh, of the conversation left because we didn't need need anymore because we could understand from the subtext and from the reactions and the acting itself we didn't need that much talking my, my part, you know, besides of writing it, I, I was just, you know, controlling that they were true to their characters on set and then never, you know, uh, took took any leeways around it or, you know, skipped any beats, basically. So, yeah, that's that's my answer to it. So she's actually, in real life, she's disabled? 
No, she's not. No, no. Oh, no. right. Okay. Well, uh, no, see, it worked uh, for you, Greg. It did work for me. I, I mean, while I was watching it, I thought, oh, I'm being led by the hand here. Something horrible is going to happen. And it, yeah. it really worked so very, very well for me. I mean, I, oh, yeah, I was totally invested in the characters, and I thought I could see that the carer yeah. wasn't really convinced and she i yeah it was very well done that she'd set something in motion she'd opened a box and now she yeah. couldn't close it yeah, and, uh, exactly. and that yeah. was just so well done and for uh, how far yeah. does her jurisdiction go yes, exactly and, uh, yeah know, exactly ca- yeah care and uh, attention and everything but yeah she's responsible for that if something yeah. goes wrong exactly. but, but, yeah, exactly. but, but that's us, you know. Madeline, Madeline Martin is us. We yes, are the audience. That's why we relate it, to her. Yeah. You have, to, yeah, yeah, you yeah, have yeah, to yeah, invest exactly. in yeah, that character because she takes mm. you through it. From watching it, that was for me. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, she's the audience. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting you were saying about the backstory there for Eva, mm. Eva Johansson's character because I put her down as a stroke victim. Oh yeah, mm. yeah. yeah that's, that's, that was mm. my thinking as well. Yeah. I thought she'd had a stroke. Yeah, but boxing that well, makes could, even yeah. more sense. Yeah, yeah. She could have. She could have a stroke. You know, and the only thing you know, when she, in the beginning she's watching a boxing match. Yeah. So and uh, she's got. You know, it's very, yes. very subtle. Of very yeah. subtle. We, yeah. We, yeah. It's it's not necessary to, to know her background. Basically, it's, some people they read it that, and some people don't. It doesn't matter. You know, she could have a stroke. She could have had a, a brain injury from boxing. I don't want to make you know any. Yeah. You know, thing about boxing, I, I don't really care. But from the beginning, when we researched drones, she wanted to have something to claim it on. So, yeah, well, I, I could have been a boxer. I could have, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do, do whatever, you know. If it works for you, you know, it's going to work on screen. And for an audience, it doesn't matter. You've just got, no. as long as you buy that that character is disabled, which we all mm. did and certainly, yep. uh, certainly yeah. did, then it works. And that frustration when she's trying to speak clearly, you know, you can tell yeah. from the performance that she used to have a normal life yeah. and that frustration yeah. that she hasn't got it anymore comes comes through. Getting back to the direction thing, one thing that we talked about when she's getting frustrated, she's got even, you know, she's got harder, she's got more trouble talking and rather than when she's when she's happy, then she's, she's got it easier to, to speak. So it's, it's it's you know the double double the frustration basically when she wants to get something out out of frustration it's 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 harder for her to speak two levels of, of you know character manner mannerisms we 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 talked about what research did Eva do for the role she researched she watched a lot of videos of, of disabled people who had the similar damage or, or illness or uh, she 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 researched two diseases which I can't you know pronounce the names of but she was talking about yeah it would be nice to have something with you know movement and speech impediments she did that for like yeah a month and a half almost two months basically and trying to get in I'm not saying she was leading that life but she was really she was sending me articles she was sending me videos of people and I actually I thought about first off you know to to cast uh, a, a real disabled person but we don't have too much of them being actors i've done a commercial before with a with a disabled person that was fine that was fine this is so hard and i wanted to control you know mm. to really have the control of, of, of changing stuff and, and 
and having her understand why we changed that. So, it, yeah, I'm, I'm, I might have to pull it off with that, you know, quote unquote, real disabled person, but I think I would need, you know, because we shot this in two days, and, and you know, and I think we would need a lot more days to to uh, to pull it off. I must say, again, both of them, Madeleine Martin and Eva Johansson, just two incredible performances. And and to be honest, when was the last time you went to the cinema and watched a film with two great female performances in the same film? Yeah. I can't think of it. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm really, really pleased with them. I'm, I'm super proud of them. And it's the first time I worked with both. I, I knew Madeleine from, from, from a couple of years ago. We, we were close to uh, of doing another project, but that failed and... And she had heard about Eva, and I've heard, I, I, I had heard of her, but I, I'd just seen her in another short, like four years ago. I was like, yeah, she's perfect. And then, you know, I, I went with my gut when we did the audition with Madeline and her, and I was like, yeah, I think this is great. And those two together, yeah, brilliant. Yeah, no, excellent. So I have to say, and without giving the game away in any way, shape, or form, your last line was brilliant. And I'm putting it up there with something like, you know, some like it hot, you know, that nobody's perfect last line. Oh, yeah. I'm not saying the line is oh, yeah, it, yeah. It's like that, but it, <laughs> it leaves you with that impression at the end of it, thinking, it's just, I just did not see that coming. And it's so brilliant. Well, thank you. Thank you. Now, you, you said you wrote the script in your journey back from Rome. Did you yeah. write that last line in it in first draft, or did you come to that yeah. later on? Yeah, I did. Yeah, you did. did. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, did. You're a genius, yeah. Jimmy. You're a genius. <laughs> or did you write that line first and work backwards? <laughs> no, yeah. Well, uh, I was, you know, I was unsure if it was too funny because, you know, when I wrote the first draft, I was like, yeah, there's there's a lot of jokes in here. Uh, well, some of them are not too apparent, but some of them are. And, and I thought first. Yeah, well, if I, if I wanted to do make something darker, but, but I, I tend to do, I tend to have comedy in almost everything I do. And, you know, comedy doesn't have to be, you know, bad. You know, comedy can be great, of course, when you mix it with drama. But, you know, the, also the prejudice could be that, well, if it's funny, then it's not, then it's not art, you know? <laughs> and I was like, oh, well, do I need to make it like Polish black and white? You know, no, I, I can, you know, I can make a great house film and have some funny bits in it so I, I decided that well yeah we would me and Madeline we were talking about a different ending she was like a bit you know I'm not sure man and, and I'm, I'm I'm quite open you know when it comes to you know ideas and, and actors have their say and I was like yeah well we if we have time we can do that but you know I didn't want to, you know, say something bad about her but her idea in, in for the end was like ah that too cheesy, and uh, I thought all. Uh, I thought my ending now was can be cheesy, but it all depends on you know who's acting it and and who and, and the tone and the sense of it. So I'm I'm really pleased we we got um, we got it and kept it uh, because I, I yeah I, I do like it too. I think it's a good line. Oh, it's a, it's a great line. It's a great it's it's a great capper for what you've just seen as well. And I think yeah. this is going to go a storm in the festivals. And what's your first yeah, festival? So. What's your first festival you got coming up? The international premiere is in Cleveland now in in uh, late March. 
So I'm I'm really you know I'm really hoping that you know we'll have a, a good festival trip and I'm because second class was a monster on the circuit basically over 160 festivals and you know, a lot of awards but I'm even more proud of it, about this film so I hope it will go well I think it deserves to go well <laughs> yeah oh definitely oh yeah definitely yeah. <laughs> well, so after Cleveland what other festivals you got lined up at the moment. We're waiting for a lot of big ones now in April. Obviously, we're waiting for Cannes. We are waiting for Palm Springs. And we're waiting for Encounters. The big ones in the UK and big ones in the US. I will know this during April and May. Then I will know how it you know, will fit the market and fit the circuit. And hopefully, you know, we'd have a good first year. And then the second year, I'm going more into the medium festivals because I wanted to spread it out all over the world, you know, but I wanted to go out with a bang because this is probably the last short film I do in a, in a while because I want to go in a longer format. I'm hoping for long, long life. <clears throat> what is your first full length feature you're working on or do you do not want to say at the moment? No, the first full length feature is, is based on the, the short second class. The same story, but it's about um, a black woman. She's a teacher. She's a young teacher, and uh, she gets attacked by a Nazi. And when she comes back to a class, she discovers that one of her students is the son of that Nazi. She does everything she can to try to protect him and save him from being too influenced by his father with his views and stuff. Because when she gets attacked by him, she pressed charges against him. And when the son finds out that she's pressed charges against him, he acts in a racist way towards her. She was like, what, what the fuck? Uh, this is not good. I, I need to do something about that. And she's risking her job, you know. She gets suspended doing the investigation. While she's suspended, she tries to, you know, to get to him anyway and, and you know, try to you know, bond with him. And, and she, you know, she hopes that she will give him some form of shield to not be too influenced by uh, his father. So that that's basically all, all the, the, the story. And I, I'm shooting it in 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 this yeah in October. I'm hoping to shoot in October. Yeah. Where, where are you going to be shooting at? In Sweden. In Sweden. Okay. You, you're not playing the Nazi again, are you? No, 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 no. God, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't want to get typecast in that role. No, 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 no. no. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> We'd love to come and talk to you about that as as that's developing. Yeah, if that's okay with you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So any of our listeners that listen to this that want to see a live, the best bet for yeah. them is to check out local festivals at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, festivals. And, and it's going to uh, have a great sales stadium called Journeyman Features, and they they are selling it right now. So they it's going to be available on Amazon in, well, in a couple of months. Yeah, we're, we're all Prime is, members. Is, is that here. Amazon Prime? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, Amazon Prime, yeah. Right, okay. so keep checking there. When you hear it, it's definitely on there, let us know and we'll let uh, our listeners know yeah. that. And we'll put it in our show notes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, good, good. So, as I said, it's it's a brilliant film, deserves to be seen. All the best in the festival circuit. Thank you very much. And Thank with you. the full-length version of Second Class. Jimmy, it's been an absolute blast speaking to you. And Thank I you. hope likewise. we speak again in the future. Yeah, likewise. Thank you for having me. It's been great. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Cheers. What a talented guy. Watch out for a live. Definite thumbs up from us. Okay, I think that about wraps it up for another show. So, gentlemen, I can safely announce that's a wrap and another At The Flicks is in the can. 
Okay, guys, time to watch some movies for the end of month reviews. So it only remains for us to say... Neil, I think you need to self-isolate. I'm not saying you've got the virus. I just think it'd be good for humanity if you self-isolated. There's several things I'd like to say to that. None of them are printable. Here's a tissue. (laughs) (laughs) And as the government's advised us not to shake hands, Jeff, let me introduce you to a West Country alternative. Shin-kicking. Ow! What was that for? Bloody movie news. Thought you liked it. (laughs) And the movie news. Thanks for listening and goodbye. To make sure you never miss an episode of this podcast, please subscribe to At The Flicks at our website, attheflicks.uk. And if possible, please remember to rate and review At The Flicks wherever you get your podcasts. You can contact the team on Twitter or by email. Our contact details are also on our website at theflix.uk. Thanks for listening. Listener.